Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Kaylee Hanlon. She is an author, speaker, entrepreneur. She has a congenital heart disease, and she also is in business with her mother. Uh, They work to help young girls build self-love and confidence. So lots of fun things that we can talk about. She's also an avid book lover, so we'll probably talk about that too. So thank you so much, Kaylee, for being here. Why don't you go ahead, say hello, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, Sarah, for having me. And hello, everyone. Um, Like Sarah had said, I'm Kaylee. I'm an author, um, a speaker, an entrepreneur with my mother. Um, I have a congenital heart disease that I was born with. um, And I actually still do all of that while working a full-time like corporate day job that I love, ironically, um, tied into books as well. I work for a company that helps um, build public library and school libraries collections so we actually curate books for the librarians from um, kindergarten all the way up through like an adult crossover level for older children who can read at an adult level. So I do a lot of different things and I love it all. <laughs> That's always great when you hear somebody loving what they do. So can we start with this heart disease that you have and just kind of get the the nitty gritty out of the way? So you've had it your whole life. Can you tell us a little bit about what even this disease is? Yeah, yeah. So um, congenital heart disease or CHD, which I'm going to refer to it the rest of the podcast like that, because that is a mouthful to say every time I want to say it, <laughs> um, is actually uh, a condition that people are born with. Um, so in my case, when I was born, um, my parents in the eighties did not have any type of, you know, the technology that's available today for, um, new parents to see their child, to kind of get genetic testing, to do all of the very intricate things prior to the child being into the physical world, um, on their own didn't exist. So when I was born, uh, First off, they thought I was supposed to be a boy. Clearly not. So (laughs) you can tell right away that they got all that wrong. But um, I didn't have, I didn't cry. I was actually born with like a bluish tint to my skin. And they knew right away that something was severely wrong. Um, In fact, they were so freaked out about what was going on in my small town hospital that they like were busy cleaning me up and try to figure it out. Didn't know if I was choking on something or whatever that they didn't even show me to my mom, like at all. They were just like taking me out of the room. And finally somebody said, you have to show the new mom her baby. And they like held me up at the doorway and was kind of like, here you go. And then walked out. And so my parents were freaking out. They're like, "I'm, I'm the first of three. So they had no idea what to expect. They're new parents. And, uh, they, they kind of were like, okay, all right. So the doctor comes in and says, look, we can tell that she's not breathing. Her heart rate is pretty bad. We think it has to do with that. You can tell by her skin color, like the bluish tint that the veins are not getting the oxygenated blood it needs. So we have to figure out what to do next, but we can tell something is severely wrong with her heart and they could do an echo and things like that to kind of figure out something. But the, as a small community hospital, they were not prepared nor trained to completely diagnose me. 
So um, I spent two, two and a half weeks in the ICU being able to get strong enough to be transported an hour away to the next best hospital. Um, so at the trans, when I got to the bigger hospital in a bigger city, that's when the doctors had said, you know, she actually has two different types of congenital heart defects. Um, the first one I have is tricuspid atresia or TA. And the second I have is ventricle septal defect or VSD. Um, tricuspid atresia means that I do not have a tricuspid valve on the, between the atrium and the ventricle. So you have two valves between your atriums and ventricles because so you have two sides. You have tricuspid and you have mitral. I do not have a tricuspid valve. Um, not that it's broken. It just never formed. Um, and then therefore below it, your ventricles, they are usually separated by um, like a, a chunk of muscle. And mine didn't have any of that. And because I didn't have a tricuspid valve, that ventricle didn't really form at all. It's like a little floaty sack of nothingness. It's useless <laughs> for me. It's useless. So I have kind of like one large ventricle instead of two separate ones that work separately. Um, so when I was a child, I spent the first couple of years in and out of the hospital. I've had three open heart surgeries. Um, to correct the differences that needed to be fixed in order to completely get um, oxygenated and deoxygenated blood, you know, through the body, through the lungs, and, and back out again. So um, my heart, that side of my heart with the tricuspid valve is completely bypassed. I don't use it. Um, I'm in my early 30s, and I'm doing really well, um, but that is not always the case for people with CHDs. Um, like anything in the world, it is a giant spectrum. Uh, you will have people on one end who, actually my sister is one of them. My sister had one that was diagnosed at birth as well. It's, it's called the hole in the heart. So it's very small hole where the blood is flowing the in, incorrect way. And um, it closed up before she was like two and a half, three years old. They check her for a while and then they kind of send her on her way because nothing else is wrong. So you have people on one end of the spectrum and then you have people on the other that need transplants or unfortunately do not survive whether it be childhood or adulthood, um, there are a million adults living in the U.S. with CHD and a million children living in the U.S. Uh, with CHD. So it's a pretty common um, birth defect, actually. I think one in five in the U.S. are diagnosed with CHD. So it's been an interesting uh, world when growing up because I spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals. So I spent more time with adults than I ever did with kids my own age uh, for a long time until I was able to go to school. And for me, um, I have been greatly blessed to be, I never had um, any restrictions on me. I was always taught to learn and listen to your own body, no matter what other people had told me, I was in charge of my body and what was kind of, what was happening. So if I was too tired in gym class or if I, you know, needed a nap, then just say something and it would be accommodated for me. But I didn't need to have, you know, no gym, no sports, no nothing, you know, no this or that. Um, and I was very fortunate as well to not have a ton of medications growing up. I only was ever on one and um, I was able to be off of it by like middle school because I was doing quite well. Um, so it's been an interesting transition now as an adult <laughs> to live with this um, disease because we're watched a little differently, especially females. Um, birth rate, the fact that we have it could be, you know, um, genetically transmitted to ch children 25% more than just the average uh, 
what is the word I'm looking for? I guess birth rate. So you, I could have a child with it. And then of course that spectrum, it varies, right? So you never know what you're going to get. It's not like they're going to get the same thing I would. Um, your heart develops in a very fun and awkward way. You can research all of that. <laughs> I've done some of it myself, but since I'm not a doctor, I'm not even going to go into it, but it is very interesting and fascinating. Um, so CHGs are, are very um, common, but not a lot of people that I run into who don't associate with that community really know about it. And so I'm definitely open to talking about my journey and um, like on this podcast to kind of spread the word of it. So people know like, this is a, this is a, this is out there. This is people live with this every day. Um, some differently than others, I guess. So that's kind of the backstory on the, the heart defect. <laughs> so you said that you're obviously like doing better than um, obviously when you were very young and in and out of the hospital a lot. What sort of things do you have to keep in mind? Like now that you're an adult, like, do you get extra checkups or are there certain things that are like, you're like, oh, I need to be aware of this? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, a couple of things. First, I not only have like a primary care doctor, but I actually have an adult CHD doctor at a main hospital in the city that I live in. So I go to um, her and her team once a year. Um, and there are a couple of things that they do every couple of years. So it, one year I might do a stress test. So it's, I run on a treadmill with this giant face mask oxygen thing, and they um, measure how much oxygen is going through my body and to see kind of how much my body can take um, compared to other people. And then um, another fun thing I get to do <laughs> every couple of years is they will um, scan my liver. And the reason for that is because um, I had a, a procedure called the Fontan. So the Fontan is a very common CHD procedure that uh, not only people with TA and BSD like myself have had, there's other things that people can have to do the Fontan the way they do the procedure. But um, the way they do the procedure, they buy, like I said, my heart is bypassed. So they're bypassing with your own, most of the time, I think, with your own veins. With me, it was my own veins. Um, so the way they make the blood flow is kind of causing more work for the liver than a normal person's body would be. So um, they just make sure that you don't have liver disease at like a very young age. Um, what's really interesting, and my doctor explained this to me again as an adult, <laughs> like last year, was um, people with Fontaine's who got them as children, like I did. Um, by the time you're a few years out, so I got mine before I was five. So probably before I was like 10 or 11, if you took a scan of my liver and you took a scan of an alcoholic's liver, they would actually look the same because of the damage. But my liver functions compared to an alcoholic's who is like damaged because of incorrect function and obviously the, um, alcoholic abuse. So the, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the word, but it'll come to me. So the, the way the liver like looks is what I'm trying to think of the word, but anyway. Um, so I think that's really interesting. So they do that every couple of years, they'll scan my liver just to make sure that the functions are, you know, still on par with what it should be and to make sure that there's nothing, no nodules or anything kind of like hidden in there. Um, and then another really interesting thing, but most people probably don't think about it is the dentist. So 
because the dentist is in um, your mouth and our mouths are fun and nasty and full of bacteria. <laughs> Not as bad as um, some wild animals, but they're pretty bad. So they also go through the bloodstream, right? So you're kind of working on cleaning teeth or if you have to get teeth pulled, or in my case, I've had, um, I have a big sweet tooth, so I have a lot of cavities. <laughs> um, I have to actually take medicine for that because if some of the, the, things that they're they're using to clean your teeth or the products that they're using to um, put um, you know the cavity in or if you have a root canal, all of that um, to prevent anything from going into the bloodstream and hitting the heart incorrectly because my heart is already weak, they actually give most CHDers medicine before they visit the dentist so that like the that is prevented a little bit so the I think it's the antibodies or the, you know, the, um, your immune system is heightened a little bit when you have the medicine in there so that they can, it quickly deactivates anything that might have been hit or into the bloodstream through dental work. So that's something that most people don't ever think about because you just go to the dentist and you're like, cool, they clean my teeth and they fix the things and they do whatever. But, um, as a CHD -er, I just have to be careful because it's such an easy access to the blood. Um, through the mouth, so in the in the bloodstream, so you just have to be careful. So those are some fun things. I mean, other than like normal, because um, because the heart is bypassed or just clearly doesn't work the same way. Obviously, I get tired way easier than most people. Growing up, I tried to play soccer. I tried to play basketball. Um, I played volleyball, which I did actually enjoy, uh, and I just got tired easier than kids my age. So I would just have to kind of like watch that or I would just take more rest and more breaks, but I never not did anything. I never like sat on the sidelines. Um, but I know others, you know, who have CHDs who have had to, you know, kind of knock out all physical activity. It just doesn't work for them. So um, even going up like flights of stairs, sometimes people are like, oh, why are you so exhausted? Like you, I look young and, you know, it, it, people just assume and you're like, oh, well, <laughs> half my heart doesn't work. So that's why <laughs> not to, like, not because I'm like out of shape or just because it's just the way my body is built. And so that's kind of like what my body needs. But those are some things that um, as an adult CHG, I just have to watch for. So my liver function and um, the dentist are pretty unique compared to most people's experience. Yeah, that's definitely, I would not have thought of the dentist. Is there anything that you have to do special to watch for your liver and its functions? Um, no, I mean, like, like any doctor out there, I'm sure would tell you social drinking, um, depending on who you are, you know, I'm just speaking for myself and my experience. My doctor has said, you know, social drinking as far as friends, you know, a couple here and there isn't gonna, is fine for me, a glass of wine or whatever, you know, but, um, heavy drinking would obviously be condoned. <laughs> it just speeds along the process of the whole like liver not functioning thing. Um, so for me, I don't have a ton that that I have to really watch for regarding that. And that's why they do those scans as well. So that I really don't have to, uh, I guess, pay attention, you know, that's they're looking year over year to make sure that there's nothing major shifts have changed. And I suppose if I had physical pain in that area, then that would be different, but, um, nothing that I can really think of. Right. Now you mentioned that your younger sister, 
had a CHD issue as well. Does your other sibling have any? No. So um, it's me, my sister, and then my brother. Um, and he does not actually. He's probably like the most fit in the family and just, just all around great, healthy kid. Uh, no, she and she hasn't really had any issues either. You know, growing up, she didn't um, didn't have any surgeries. She, like I said, was kind of watched by a pediatrician, but they didn't really see anything that made them think that she needed uh, either work down the road or surgeries or other things that would kind of require um, observation, I guess. Um, so no, neither one of them have had anything else. They've actually been pretty healthy. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure your your parents were relieved uh, by yes. the time the third pe- pregnancy <laughs> came around. <laughs> yes, yes, they were. So taking a turn a little bit to talk about some of these other crazy things you've got going on in your life. Yeah. How did you start a business with your mom? I, I feel like that's not <laughs> something most people would do. <laughs> It is not something most people would do. Um, so because of my CHD, I spent a lot of time with my parents. I spent a lot of time with the adults in my family. Um, and I think my mom and I kind of had a very different mother-daughter relationship than most, at least, you know, from my experience. So in, I don't know, it's been a couple of years now at this point, we've had this business for a while, probably like 10 years ago in my early twenties, her and I kind of got to talking about some of the things that I had done as a child that she had just really recognized that that for most kids was way above like that critical thinking skill set that, you know, as you kind of develop. And I had spent a lot of time telling people, you know, here are my body's boundaries kind of thing. Like I can do this and you don't have to tell me no and it's okay. And um, I spent a lot of time working with my peers for them to understand, you know, the differences that I was going through. Um, and I, I really evaluated my peers as well. You know, most kids, and there were times that I did this, you know, most kids kind of get into different groups and there's clicks and there's, you know, all kinds of things. And people come home, you know, upset because somebody doesn't want to be their friend anymore. And not that that didn't totally happen to me, but I think I did a really good job growing up of kind of recognizing the signs of when my friends started to really push the boundaries of like stealing or drinking before 21 or partying or whatever. And I started to kind of shift myself away a little bit from those people. Not to say that I wasn't there to, you know, be their friend, but I didn't want to be a part of those type of activities. And I think a lot of, I guess I did a really good job like with peer pressure recognition. So my mom and I had been talking in my 20s, or in my 20s a couple of years ago about this and, and the fact that, you know, oh man, you know, I wish I had told, I wish I could tell my like 12 year old self, like, it's going to be better. You're going to do things. You can do hard things. Like these, you're just awesome and enough as you are. And we got to talking about all the things we wanted to say to our younger selves. And that's when we were like, we really could help a lot of young girls. Like we could really help a lot of mother-daughter duos too. How do we do this? And so we got to thinking and we realized that the best way to try to help other young girls see themselves for who they are, to love on themselves, to really 
learn that they're unique in their own way um, and no one else can be them is through a book. We figured this would allow um, the girl to have some space and, and kind of in a safe space, I guess, to explore themselves, but also allowed us to not have to be there all the time, you know, in speaking events or things like that, you, you know, you have to kind of be in person or virtual as we've learned in the pandemic. Um, so the book was a way for us to kind of distribute this a little bit and allow girls to really explore their unique qualities and really own themselves. Like that's the point of the book. Actually, it's called the joy journal and the joy part stands for just own you. And so really that's all I want these young girls to do because I think when I look back on my life as a child, I think I really did a good job of, of doing that. But in those moments, I was so freaked out. You know, I was judging myself like everybody else was. Am I better than my peer or am I good enough, you know, to be with my peers, I guess, first off. And then in that sense of like, oh my God, every little thing was a drama, a, a big drama. You know, somebody didn't like me. Somebody didn't sit at the lunch table. Somebody gave me a weird look at recess. Like those are all such big things that girls deal with because that's their world, right? They still don't have the cognitive ability yet as an adult to be like, okay, somebody rolled their eyes, like, cool, I'm fine. But I want to teach them that a little bit, or at least acknowledge the fact that like, yes, the person rolled their eyes, or yes, they chose not to sit with you, or yes, they decided to not be your friend. But here's the great secret. <laughs> First off, they also feel the same exact emotions you do. It might just be through a different situation. They also feel rejected and guilty and like feel like they don't have friends and feel like they're not enough. Um, and two, it won't matter in 10 years or five years or whatever many years. You know, you will look back and be proud of yourself for other things that you did and other problem-solving skills that you developed. Not so much like whether, you know, this person was your friend or if the drama was going to continue or, or whatever had happened. So, so we decided to do the book in that way. And then the business was kind of built from there to kind of give us space to continue to grow, to do events, to do these podcasts, to, to um, create courses, which is what we're doing now, so that young girls who may not enjoy reading and writing on a physical piece of paper, but do enjoy kind of learning a little more virtually can do that as well. Um, and then my mom's side of the whole thing is, in addition to us kind of having the conversation of what I experienced as a child, um, when she was in her 30s, she went to her very first uh, professional development event like ever. And she was married to my dad. She had my sister and I at that point. And um, she is one of six children. And she was walking off the beach that morning after like they did a yoga session, like back to the hotel before the day started. And she just got this overwhelming sense of like joy and happiness. And she literally stops like in her tracks and was like, holy heck, like I have never felt like this before in my life. Like, why has it taken me this long? Like I've done all these things. She had like this great corporate career at this point. And, um, that pivotal moment for her really then built like what she taught my sister and I on and eventually kind of worked with the business on why we built it because she doesn't, she doesn't want these young girls or anyone really to just enjoy joy and happiness at, at 30 and above, right? <laughs> enjoy it as a kid, you know, at, at 10, enjoy it at seven, enjoy it at 15, at 18, at 22, right? 
like all these different areas in your life, be present in that moment, be present in what you're doing. When we, when we tend to look too far forward or too far back, we like lose sight of where we are in the moment. And so that's, that's the element, like the mixed element with her and why we did the business is because she had this joy that she had never felt in all the years and all the things she had done. And she thought, gosh, what if I had known this? Just like I had said, like, what if I had known this at seven or 10 or 15 or whatever? And what would my life be like if I had been able to have that joy earlier and like really know what it felt like to be like truly happy in the moment that you were in? And so that's where the business all came from. And those are kind of the backstories of it <laughs> um, on how we, we built it. And so we, we just want to bring those elements to young girls because I think in today's society, uh, we have done a terrible job as like a species, I suppose, as a human species or as a society of teaching young women and honestly of teaching anybody. They are enough as they are to live in that present moment and that, you know, just owning yourself and being in your own like lane. I hear a lot of people say that being your own lane or like being your own business and not other people's business or like God or universe or insert your own um, uh, religious belief business. You know, you tend to grow better. You tend to that professional or that professional, that personal development tends to kind of blossom naturally and on its own. You don't have to kind of force it. And I think that's really, that's really the great thing about us as humans is like, we get to grow and develop and change all the time. And, and that's what I want these young girls to know too. Cause if somebody had told me like Kaylee at age eight, like, Hey, you know, you're really trying to like write all these cute little stories on your notebook and in school, because that's what I like to do. And one day you're going to be an author. I'd be like, no way. What? Okay. And like, you would just go with it. Right. Cause as a kid, some of it too, is like, they have this beautiful ability to, they already kind of know themselves as a child, but we, society just kind of chips that away over and over again, unfortunately. And so all of a sudden they're comparing themselves to these, you know, social media influencers or whoever they see on TV. And they're like, well, wow, I'm not that person or I don't look like that person. And so I definitely am not worthy of those things, but you are, everybody is kind of. And so, well, not kind of, but they are. Um, and I just, I just want these young girls to know that like they're loved and, and they're enough as they are. And so that's, that's the whole thing of the book. I feel like now I'm definitely gone on a rambling tangent here. <laughs> that is, that is more than okay. So you say that, that like, it's, you know, obviously mother daughter duo with this business, creating this book, the book is for, you know, the young girls to write in, to read, to learn is there a part with your business that helps the parent like guide the child? That is a great question. And as of now, um, we do like blogs and some social, you know, media kind of things that my mom or I will write um, on behalf of her, honestly, with her advice on what she's done with, you know, my siblings and I and her nieces and nephews and kind of the children she's been around. But as of now, that's kind of it. But I, I will say that while we've, we've been in quote unquote business, um, I say that because like we submitted a, you know, an LLC and this book was published in 2018, but, um, while we've been around a while, I suppose 
we both still do this with our corporate jobs that we enjoy. So this isn't always a full-time thing, which is okay. And I love that I do that because I get to tell other kids just as much. Like, you don't have to pick, actually. When people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, you get a bunch of different options. You don't just get one if you don't want one. Um, But we have considered doing events. Um, Unfortunately, we thought about it in 2019, and then the pandemic happened. And so we had to kind of shift for a little bit. And now that the vaccines are rolling out and things are kind of slowly, the tide is turning. Um, We are talking about doing almost like little mini weekend retreats with like young girls and their female role model, whoever that may look like for for that person, um, to be able to bring them together, to connect them a little closer and to have some conversations that they may not normally have in their day-to-day routine at home. So so that's one area that we're looking into building. But I, I like that you asked because I think that it definitely would be beneficial because just like their daughter, right? These women probably haven't learned some of this stuff on their own either. In their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and beyond, there are tons of not only women, but people out there in the world that are really struggling with that feeling of not being enough and not being worthy and not being valued. And so I think teaching both would be 100% beneficial. So we are looking into figuring out how that works into our business, but we haven't quite got there yet. Yeah. Now, what sort of books have you written? So um, the first one, obviously, was The Joy Journal with my mom. And then the second one I also co-authored called The Rising Sisterhood, Rise With Us, How to Step into Your Own Power and Change Your Narrative. And so this was a collaboration book with um, 16 other authors, so 15 authors and myself, And we all wrote a chapter and it is about a point in our life where we rose above a really difficult situation in order to inspire other, again, specifically women, but really anyone, um, to know that it's okay to be in really deep, dark, challenging parts of life. Um, and that it's also okay to know that you will, it's almost like, you know, the, the bell curve, but opposite, I guess, like a valley, right? So you fall down and like, you can get back up and climb your way back into who you were, maybe not who you were before, but in a better version of you. So the book is really filled. It's really awesome. Cause it's not only women all over the U S but it's like women all over the world with somebody from Australia, someone from Italy. So it's very cool collaboration project. Um, And there's stories from all walks of life. So everything from like being a new mom and what like that really entails, like people don't really talk about certain parts to um, a a woman who, whose husband had um, an infidelity and she kind of had to figure out what to do with her children and, and figure out what's, you know, how to divorce and, and get past that to a woman who was raised with a mother with a mental health issue that, um, she did not properly care for herself. And so therefore she was not properly taking care of her own child and, and being raised by a mother like that and the struggles and trauma that she kind of endured. Um, it's just, I I think no matter who picks this book up, to be honest, they can see a piece of themselves in one of these authors. And that's what I loved about this collaboration book, because I wrote about my, um, my CHD and kind of the story, a little bit of the story I shared with you at the beginning of, of how I was diagnosed, but then also like the things that I did as a middle school or elementary school and like kind of growing up with this and how to kind of 
not only live with it, but like thrive with it and, and to not just to survive, but really like step into my power and be like, okay, I have this thing and this is what I'm going to do. So I love this collaboration because I wanted to put that awareness out there for anybody else who may also have a CHG that kind of was like, didn't know anyone else with it. And then also just because I loved the fact that I, like I said, anyone can see themselves in this book. I think it, it definitely brings some raw emotion that we feel as humans and then go, okay, I'm not the only one. I definitely know that there are other people out there like me and I can, if that person can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, that's really great. And with everything you've said, you can really hear that you're thriving with a lot of things in your life. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So do you want to talk a little bit about your job? Um, You know, the actual corporate world that that you love to be in finding books and all of that? Yeah, um, I wish I was a part of that department. I'm actually the purchasing coordinator. So uh, I get to do all the the back end with the books, which is actually really interesting because we do work with so many publishers from the big five to small, smaller ones. Um, and we do have a team that curates books. So we're a subscription service. I should have backed up and said that earlier. We're a subscription service for school and public libraries who want to fill in gaps in their collection that they may not have, but their patrons are looking for those type of books. So most of our categories, they get like, they buy one category. Well, one category gets you one book a month for a year. So you get 12 books a year. So libraries um, and art programs are tend to be the first that are cut when school districts really need to like tighten the first strings. So if a librarian can subscribe to a subscription service like what I do, then they get the new books and then they get to say, hey, my budget's already spent. Like, sorry, you can't cut anything because it's done and gone and and that's the end of that. And the patrons and the kids are still getting um, new books that are being published and new content that's coming out. So we kind of offer a, a really wide range. We have audiobooks and we have ebooks and then we have physical books and the physical books can um, they cover like pre-K all the way, like I said, to adult crossover and they can be graphic novels, mystery, history, um, science, arts, humor, even, you know, we have all these little niche categories that we're filling these books for so that if a librarian needs to fill that part of their collection, that hole in their collection, they certainly can with us. So that's what we do. And I do mostly that once the book is selected, I, I go and buy it with the publishers and, I deal with the freight carriers and bringing it all inbound and across the oceans and things like that from different printers. And so it's, it's really fun because I get to make sure that our customers are getting the books that they, you know, obviously requested in a timely manner. And it's awesome because I get to see what's being published. And I, um, before we started this podcast, Sarah and I had been talking about books before, before this. And so she had mentioned that her mom um, was reading like middle grade books and I love middle grade books. And I actually love um, elementary books too, especially because I think that some content that we as like adults even struggle with understanding um, can really be broken down into a really awesome children's book. And then you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Or just, I think children's books too have like such fun content that they don't quite teach you in the very standardized American education system. So I love reading middle grade though. I love it so much. And then I love young adult or like high school level books as well. I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of read and see what 
these authors are writing about because they really write, some of them will write based on their own personal experiences, but some of them take that and then they put that into the new generation of what these kids are dealing with. And it's so cool to kind of see it all kind of combined and, and grow. So, so that's the corporate world that I like <laughs> do on a daily basis, but it kind of all ties in for me. You know, I've, I, I think I found my love of reading because I think I know, I know I found my love of reading because as a child, I spent a lot of time in the hospital. And when you spend a lot of time in the hospital, if anybody has ever been to a doctor's appointment, you don't like see the doctor at, you know, 1230 or whatever time your appointment is, you see them on their schedule. So you usually have a waiting area and like me, you know, I spent not only like the day, but I would spend days and weeks and and whatever, you know, recovering from surgery. And so the only thing I could really do was read or be read to. And I think that's really where that love of books stems from. So it all comes full circle for me. I get to do it in both uh, areas of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, you know, my, my mom does read um, some younger books because of the job she has working in a children's library. Um, So it is always interesting to hear uh, her opinions on books versus my opinions on books. (laughs) So how much do you read in, in your free time? Um, I try, well, during the pandemic, because, you know, nobody was allowed to go anywhere or do anything in that, in that regard of like what normalcy used to look like. Um, I probably read like a book a week because I just had so much more free time on my hands. I didn't have so many more, um, I don't want to call them unnecessary commitments, but I felt like prior to the pandemic, there really was like, and I think a lot of people could probably relate to that as well. Like they probably looked at their life and like, wow. I spent a lot of my free time doing these things that I didn't even want to do. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, so I just, I had a lot of free time. I was actually for load, you know, like many people as well for a while um, until they were able to kind of sustain and see what was going to happen as the world changed. So uh, again, I had a lot of free time. I tried to read a book a week now, not so much. Now it's probably one or two a month. Um, if I do read like a middle grade, I I can really like speed through that pretty quickly. That's not hard, especially like middle grade graphic novels, which I love. I love graphic novels. Um, those are pretty easy to get through within like a day or two. If I like, you know, really sit down and dedicate some time, but, um, with everything going on and, and kind of readjusting, again, with the pandemic, like readjusting my priorities, I love to read. And so I'm trying to put it, um, more into my life. And so I actually signed up for like the adult summer reading program at my like local library. So I'll like do a little shout out to any listeners. Like there are adult programs for summer reading. And if you don't know that you should check them out because they're awesome. <laughs> so if you enjoyed summer reading as a child, um, they, most, most public libraries will have one for adults as well. Um, they're not as, as, you don't get to pick like the stickers and things, but, um, they're still there. So like you have some accountability, which I love and, and recommendations. So yeah, probably, I don't know, one to two books a month now at this point. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with your kind of reevaluating life post pandemic and figuring out <laughs> what to really do with your free time. You know, I, I have my Goodreads reading goal and I'm like, that's what keeps mm-hmm. me accountable. But other than yep. that, I'm like, I enjoy reading and I'm like, I need to make time for this. And why am I spending my time doing these other things that I may not enjoy as much or just constantly being busy? 
Yeah. I don't know if you can relate to this or, or the listeners, but I've, I've found that prior to the pandemic, I was reading things because I felt like I needed to. And I was kind of like begrudgingly getting through them. And now I'm like, oh, no, if I don't like it, I'm not going to read that. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> and do you have an author that you would recommend that people read? Um, so many. Well, let me just pull up my Goodreads for a moment, please. Um, because I, I never remember things by like, my memory is not great. So I this thank, thank goodness for this app. I'll tell you what, cause it just really helps me. Um, so I personally am a big like mystery thriller suspense reader. I love that kind of stuff. So, um, I'll give, I don't know if I have one specific author, but may I please like give a couple of different books instead of that? <laughs> Can I switch the question and completely not answer it in the way you asked? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the books that I recently read that came out somewhat recently is called The Seven and a Half Death of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton, T-U-R-T-O-N. I don't know if I said that right. That one is trippy. I really liked it. It's a bigger book. It's it's pretty thick. It's it's like a eh, it might be a young adult book, but it definitely has adult content in it. So, and it's like I said, it's a thick book. So it is trippy, trippy, and I really liked it. It is one of those that like you're figuring out in your head while you're reading it, and then you're also like, and then the author just flips it, and you're like, darn it, what? And then you have to like kind of be like, okay, we'll we'll just go down this path instead. So. Um, that one's a really good one. And then my, my absolute favorite one. So there is a book called all the missing girls by Megan Miranda. Have you read it? I have. Yeah. And I actually, <laughs> I think I just read one of her books. Cause there's, there's two authors, um, her and somebody else that I like combine. Um, let me see. <laughs> yes. The, that the, one of the books I just read, um, was also by her, the perfect stranger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I haven't read that one yet, but all the missing girls, I ate up. I loved it so, so much, so much, such a good mystery. I like books like that, that I can kind of try to pretend that I am a detective and figure it out. But really most of the time I'm wrong. And (laughs) yes, um, but I will say for a couple of other recommendations, like there is a book called Free Lunch by Rex Ogle, and it's a middle grade book. It is eye-opening even for adults. Um, it's definitely a subject matter that I was have never experienced. So Rex Ogle actually talks about his own personal life growing up in Texas, being on the free lunch program at school, and talking about how um, hunger and lack of food source is not just what most Americans kind of picture as being homeless and on the streets. Instead, a lot of it is children. A lot of it is um, children who are living in a poverty type, you know, in in a poverty situation, and they are really relying on the schools for these free lunches in order to eat for their day and like be sustainable in their body. So it's, it's really interesting because he gets obviously extremely vulnerable in his own story, but 
it's eye opening, even as an adult to be like, wow, like I had no idea, you know, especially if you grew up in a school system that happened to have free lunch and you obviously were not part of that. And then you kind of see a side of that program that's very different from what you had kind of assumed it always was. So I think that is great for anybody. But if there are listeners out there that have like a a middle school child who does love to read, that one is like one of my favorite books. It's called Free Lunch. Um, and it's it's recently, I think he published it a couple of years ago. So it's pretty recent, but it it it's really eye-opening, like I said, about, about um, hunger and and food waste and, and kind of how we, how we treat food as a society a bit. Oh, uh, if you like young adult and you also like fairy tales, like I do that are reimagined because why would I like the normal stuff? Um, there's, there's a, a series called the lunar chronicles by Marissa Meyer. Have you ever read those? I've heard of them. I have not read them. I read them all, including like the little, um, oh, what does she call them? Like, you know, prequels and sequels and things she kind of wrote along the way. Oh my gosh. So good. I was in them a hundred percent. I, I really like like those retold fairy tales though. So again, if you are interested in, in that sort of a thing, I highly recommend it if you haven't already checked it out. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to, let's see. So that's, those are I'll go with those. I'll go with those book recommendations and cut myself off here. (laughs) Well, and they're good. Like, it's a good variety. Like, you know, you have your niches that you like, but you were able to share a couple different things. And especially that one about hunger, you know, the fact that it's even, it's not a book that's written for adults. So like to be able to say like, hey, this is this really great story with a great purpose. And it is tailored at younger children. Yeah. So before we start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners about your story? Oh boy, that is a big question. Um, I suppose I'll just, I'll kind of wrap up here with a, a few like final thoughts, just from my perspective, I suppose, cause that's really what your podcast is like all about, which I love. Um, so having a CHD has allowed me to kind of view the world in a very different lens than some people, um, which I love. And so if you are someone who has a CHD, I see you, I hear you, I witness you. I know kind of some of the struggles you may have gone through. Um, and I, if you ever want to reach out, I think Sarah puts um, my contact information. So please feel free. Um, if you have never met somebody with a CHD, here I am. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Um, you are listening. Uh, so thank you for taking that time. I hope that, um, this kind of helps broaden just one more little section of, of the world for you. Um, like I said, it's a lot more common than I think people realize having a million adults and a million children. And when they say children, they mean anybody under 18, um, living in the U S alone with it is, is pretty substantial in my opinion. Um, And then for just a final thought of like the greater world, right? So I just, I I guess I would just want to tell your listeners, like you are enough as you are. And there is already so much hard stuff in the world to use a a appropriate term, I guess. 
that you don't have to be hard on yourself. Like you can celebrate the little things. You can celebrate being messy and trying. You can celebrate failing. It just means you found a way that didn't work, but you'll find a different way. Um, I, I just, I really want to give people their power back, I guess, sometimes. And so if, if that's you and you kind of needed to hear this message, I hope that it really resonates with you and you step into your own and you're like, here I am, this is me and all my glory and all my messiness and all my humanness, because that's really what it is. It boils down to we're a human species that is not perfect. And so, you know, if you're struggling or if you uh, feel like you didn't do something, uh, it just, it's, it's okay. Like it's okay. You're still worthy. You're still, you are enough. And so, I will leave you with that. Great. Now, with all of my guests at the end, I like to ask a random question that doesn't have to do with what we've been talking about. (laughs) Okay. So my question for you is if you could choose to move anywhere, like different state, different country, where would you like to move to? Man, this is so hard. Well, okay. So here's what I'll pick. I'll pick... um, I'll pick Florence, Italy, because I went there in college for like two and a half weeks and I got to study for a little bit there and I loved it. Love, love, love. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Very, uh, historic, I suppose, compared to the U S although they've been around a little bit longer in that sense and took care of some of the, um, historic things a little better. So it's just, I think the vibe too that I felt there of the very the everybody's kind of family the the bring it in kind of feeling that I got being in Italy just I would I would probably pick that location out of everywhere because I I um, am part Italian and, and so probably that makes me feel like oh a little you know to reunite a little bit with the ancestral kind of ancestral line um but that would be it i guess florence italy there you go that's my answer (laughs) all right that brings this episode to a close as kaylee mentioned i will be leaving her information in the description of course so her website the business facebook and instagram handles as well so if you'd like to check those out and i will also be leaving her email address if you would like to connect directly with her she'd love to hear from you as she mentioned and of course if you'd like to connect with the podcast here our website is in the description it'll bring you to all of our social media it'll give you access to all of the past episodes and resources and all of the good things are right there and if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast and share your own story feel free to email me I would love to hear from you. So thank you, Kaylee, so much for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Bye, thank you.